0: Mmm, mama, 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 oh yeah. You know, that's called that's called home cooking, right there. I don't eat like I did when I was a kid because, man, it was fried everything. Once in a while, I want some home cooking. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Plus, I think it's good for some of you to experience that. You've never been in that. You've been scared of it. And you know, nobody's going to lose their mind in here. If we do, we'll, we'll have an usher that'll help them in the name of Jesus. And I don't say that to scare you, but you know, that whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 says, let everything be done decently in order. And that's code in most places for we don't do that around here. But if you're gonna obey the word, everything is everything Paul just wrote about in 1 Corinthians 14. Let everything be done decently and in order. And I think that there are times, there are times to be silent before the Lord, O all flesh, for the Lord is in his holy temple. And if you know anything about Old Testament history, there were festivals, there were feasts every year where they would actually have. The, the tithe for the party, you're you supposed to take a tithe to buy wine, and there was celebration, and there was dancing, and there was revelry, and there was rejoicing, because they were, they were excited about what God was doing in their nation and among their people. And uh, it's not just about nationalism in the sense of where we're from, because God is the God of the whole earth, somebody say amen, and He so loved the world. Our prayer should be that before, and let me just say this: I'm proud to be an American, and I, I say God bless America. But we also ought to say, "For God so loved the whole world." Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Mm. Ooh I don't know if it was the hat this morning or what, but I I, I feel good up in this place. It was the hat. Yeah, I just thought I'd take a, take a risk, and when I've been going to New York, I've been buying me some new hats, and I just never worn them, and I said, I'm going to wear it today and see what everybody thinks about that. Everybody's been real positive. If you don't like it, don't tell me, because I don't, I don't want to know. <laughs> I, uh, I am a pastor, but I'm also a musician, so there's a little creative element and a little, kind of a little edgy, edgy vibe, and I enjoy just expressing who I am, that God has made me to be. We're excited this morning to start a new summer series that is really going to be faith building. Everybody say, testify. Testify Testify is not just the Wednesday night service where everybody stood and basically said, I just want to thank the Lord for saving me and filling me with the Holy Ghost and sanctifying me and making me a member of the, as my grandfather used to say, a member of the dear old church of God. Uh... A testimony is a legal term. You sit in a witness seat and you bear witness to something that has happened. You are an eyewitness of an occurrence, an observation. You testify, you're giving attestation to something that is real. The disciples who became the apostles were witnesses of the resurrection. And I want to tell you, it doesn't stop there because every person who has been born again and has the living Christ on the inside of you, you are a living witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what was once dead, somebody help me, is now alive. Put your hands together, come on. He saved me. Healed me to the uttermost and he placed my feet on solid ground. That's from Psalm 40 when David said, You've pulled me up out of the muck and the miry clay, and you've set my feet upon a rock and established my goings, and you've put a new song in my mouth, and many shall see it. Now, wait a minute. How do you see a song? Because a song is not just a melody that's sung. A song is the essence of your life. It's how you live. It's your behavior, your actions, your conversation. He put a new song in my mouth, and many shall see it and fear the Lord. Nothing like a testimony, because guess what? Folk can argue politics. People can argue your theology and your perspective and how you interpret one way or another. But when you just say, I want to tell you what God has done in my life, people will shut their mouths and they will (laughs) go, really? You mean God showed up in your life like that? How many of you remember last September when my best friend from first grade got baptized in our baptism tank right over here? I want to tell you Just give you a testimony, his wonderful son, Zachary, struggled for years with some drug problems, and that took him deeper into a lot of trouble. I won't go into it just for the sake of people hearing this online, watching it, streaming internet, whatever. Welcome today, those of you that are watching. But I just kept encouraging Preston. I'm saying, Preston, there's hope. Just keep doing what you're doing, keep trusting God. And i want gonna tell you, it was the coolest thing because he called me and with tears I could tell, I could tell he was crying. He said, I want you to know that Zachary has made a new commitment to Jesus Christ. And I got to watch him get baptized on FaceTime. And he is on fire. And the whole point of that is, is that when God starts working in your life and you can be just a little bit courageous enough to tell somebody else about it and then you, you just, by grace, you begin to live what God is doing inside of you, I promise you it will shake the relationships and the networks around you and they will go, something is up and going on in my brother's and my sister's life. The title of the message this morning is from the Old King James Version of Psalm 107 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Everybody look at your neighbor and say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Today is number one, testify. When we testify, we're giving our testimony of what God has done in our lives. We're using one verse, a little bitty short chapter over the New Testament. It's the letter of Philemon. He was one who had wronged the people of God and there was a rift, and Paul saw him turn and come to Christ, and Paul wrote a letter in recommendation for him to say, receive this one. And so as we look to this one chapter book in the New Testament, right before the book of Hebrews, Philemon says this, Paul is writing, he says, I'm praying for you, and he has some things before that, and he says that, read it with me, that the sharing of your faith may become effecting, effective by the acknowledgment of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Let's get it again. One more time. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. It means that to share your faith, you don't have to quote 20 scriptures, you don't have to know a theological outline. It means all you need to do is just open your mouth and tell God the good thing or tell people the good things that God's doing in your life. That's what it's saying right there. Your faith will become effective when you just take time to acknowledge every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Somebody say, Amen. I love that. Our text for today, Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. It asks the question Has the Lord redeemed you? If that's you, say yes. So the, the psalmist says, if he has, then speak out. Everybody say, speak out. Yeah. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemy.'" King James here says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, if you've been redeemed, if you've been blood-bought, if you've been transformed, if the gospel has penetrated your life and it's started to do a work on the inside of you that you don't even have any ability to put into words or to explain, but you know that faith is growing in your heart and there's a hunger for things that you didn't use to hunger for and you've lost the taste for some things that you used to crave and you know that God is doing something down on the inside of you by the presence of the Holy Ghost. Then he says, speak out, tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. My one thing is this, I have a story that no one else can tell, and the people in my life need to hear it. Now, when you read this, this is first person, don't say, Pastor Michael has a story That Nobody else can tell don't think of me or somebody else that you think of as a spiritual leader, but I want you to hear Yourself. I want you to see your face when you say the word I let's say it together Here we go. I have a story that no one else can tell and the people in my life need to hear it now You about halfway believe that come on like you really mean it I have a story that no one else can tell and the people in my life need to hear it. Billy Preston, if you remember him uh, back years ago, said, I have a song that ain't got no melody, and I'm going to sing it to my friends. You've got a story that nobody else can tell, and the people in your life need to hear it. I've got three quick points this morning, and I'm just going to testify. I'm going to tell you what God's done in my life. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what He's done in my family, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the origin of Victory Church and how we got here. Is that all right this morning? Father, help me today. Help me, O God, Holy Spirit, by your presence and open the hearts of listeners. I need you. I acknowledge that. I say it. God, I need you more than I've ever needed you before. I thank you today that you give me clarity of thought and brevity of speech and by the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit, change and convict and challenge and comfort and strengthen and encourage and equip us, O God, to be what you've called us to be. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit, in this place. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, I have a story that no one can else can tell, and the people in my life need to hear it. God has always worked in my life. I grew up in a Christian home. Grandparents. My grandfather was an alcoholic. He uh, used to, he played the fiddle, and he used to call the square dances. And when granddad radically got saved, my grandmother Ella Blake, Ella Carr Blake, came to Christ first. She got saved in the early Pentecostal outpouring. We're talking about in the uh, uh, the teens, 1920. Granny was born in 1898. My grandfather was born in 1892. And when Granny came to Christ, Granddad was drinking, and she began to pray for Jake, for Jake Blake. And Granddad had a radical salvation. And unfortunately, he was around some folks that were so hyper-legalistic and fundamentalist, he thought he had to lay down the fiddle, and he thought that it was a sin to square dance. Now, how many of you know there ain't nothing sinful about square dancing? Are you hearing me? Now, sometimes maybe what's going on behind the barn might be sinful, but there ain't nothing wrong with the square dance. Are are y'all hearing? Is that too plain? Did I offend somebody by saying that? Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Everybody, y'all know what I, y'all not children. You, you know what's going on in the world. But Granddad felt like he had to leave it all. And I think whatever that, his feeling was or his conviction, if that was the Lord that did that, that's fine. But how many of you know sometimes people can put extra stuff on you that God doesn't put on you? And Sometimes for a season, you need to back up from all of it. I'm going to run ahead and chase a rabbit. When I was in college, I had made a new commitment to seek the Lord And I was hanging with a friend of mine who was really wanting to do the whole college boy scene and just get drunk all the time. And I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw myself reaching from the side of a very steep, muddy bank. And my friend was in the mud. And and I woke up and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me as a freshman in college. And he says, you can't reach him from the mud if you're in it with him. And so I separated temporarily because I just realized that if I kept... Hanging around that. How many of you know bad company corrupts what? Good character. You have to make decisions. You have to make quality decisions about who you're going to hang with and what you're going to let come into and influence your life and your thinking. Granddad got saved, got filled with the Holy Spirit in the Pentecostal sense, and really just with everything jumped into it, seeking the Lord with, with, with all of his heart, jumped in with both feet, raised three children. My Aunt Lucille, who was the oldest, and then Uncle Buddy, and then my mom, Mary, and grew up in a house where they didn't have very much. Mom said they were so poor, the poor folks called them poor. She was born in a shack outside of Mark Tree, Arkansas. But they knew how to pray. And um, Granddad never even owned his own car. That's how poor they were. But God blessed his children. Because there was a generational blessing on training up children the way that they should go. And the scripture says that a principle when they're old, they're, they're going to come back to it. They won't depart from it. And so God put his blessing and his favor on the children's lives. And Granddad never owned his own car, but he got ridden to town in a new Cadillac. And we still got a new one every two years. Their businesses were blessed. And just... Growing up around a grandfather that always would pray for me, we would go to Mark Tree every Sunday after church, and Granny would cook a whole skillet, iron skillet, full of chicken thighs. Oh, glory I can speak in tongues right now just thinking about them. <laughs> granny would slow fry those chicken thighs, and I'm going to tell you, it would make you want to slap somebody. They were so good. And we, Dewey and I, my younger brother, would play out in the backyard and we'd take cars and we would dig holes and we would mound up and we had highways and all kind of stuff. And before we had time to leave, they would always, mom would stick her head out the back door off the back porch where granny had her old washing machine that you had to wring out. How many of y'all remember that? I'm talking about way back. And you know, the washing machine would shake and the back porch would shake and you feel like you're doing the twist or something and they'd wring the clothes out and run them again. And Mama would stick her head out the back door, and she would say, Come on in, boys. It's time to pray. And Drew, Dewey and I would look at each other and go, I, I, I don't, don't want to pray. And she would call us again in about five minutes. and She'd say, Come on. We're not gonna, we're not, we're y'all holding us up. We're not going to start until you get here. And Dewey, we better go in. So we'd go in, and we'd hold hands. And I remember growing up, and in that room, the, the presence of the Most High God settled down into that room. I, as a child, saw sick people get healed. I saw prayers get answered, and it marked my life. That's my testimony. And I grew up in a home where they encouraged me to put the Lord first and to seek God. And that there was no junior Holy Ghost that a child could pray. And sometimes the Lord would hear them quicker than an adult who thought they knew everything. And so I was always raised in that spirit of encouragement and around that atmosphere where the manifest presence of God was. And I'm thankful for those prayers. I grew up in church. I started playing for the youth group when I was nine. They gave an exception. You had to be 13 to be in the youth group, but they didn't have anybody that could play the piano, and Mike could, so they invited me to the youth group, and at nine, I was playing. By the end of the year, I was playing for the full service, big church, at 10, And so I grew up around the kind of music you just heard right there. Always in a multiracial environment, much diversity. We had Hispanics and Asians and we had African Americans and we worshiped together. And I grew up in a home where my parents told me to love everybody and not hate anybody because of the color of their skin. Or their different culture or the way they cook things or the way they said things. And so I'm thankful for that because all of that was part of my formative years and I, I, I developed enough skill on in the music that by the time I was 13 I had some traveling preachers that had asked me to travel with them. And so I started and went to Nashville for a trip one time, played for the Tent Revival over in uh, Good Hendersonville, not Goodlitzville, but Hendersonville, above, up above Nashville. And then by the time I was 14, started traveling with a... Um, a prophetic evangelist and went all over the southern U.S. and up the whole East Coast in and out of churches that may be as few as 20 and maybe as many as five or 600 people back in the 70s and playing behind and for the ministry time, for the prayer services, anointing people with oil, saw people get sick. I saw a lot of crazy stuff too, and that's the reason I grew up in a church that way overbuilt for the people that were coming. And sometimes, y'all... I, I saw them literally take four offerings in a service because the, the budget hadn't been met yet. Now, you know what? You you've never seen us do that around here. And I sat there, one service, one time, and they, it took them an hour and a half to take the offering. Our service is, is, whole service is done by then. And I sat there and I made a promise to God. I said, God, if you ever let me plant and, and lead and pastor a people, I promise you I will not do that. And I so swung the pendulum so hard that for a while I failed to come back to a place of balance to teach the people of God that there is blessing in having a generous spirit. That when you trust God and give Him the tithe, the first fruits of your increase, that He will put His favor and blessing on the other 90% and cause it to be multiplied. And so it took me a few years after having experienced it on one side of the pendulum and swinging this way, then to swing back and not out of manipulation. I remember in the 90s when all the TV ministries were falling, and I got on a plane one time and somebody said, what do you do? And I said, I work for the government. <laughs> Which is the truth. I work for the kingdom of God. They didn't know that. And I didn't want to tell them I was a preacher, because at that point, a preacher, I'm talking about when PTL fell and when Jimmy Swagger did his thing. I mean, it was like, you know, you've got shark lawyers and you've got dishonest Used car salesman. We got some used car salesman in our church, and I wanted to just tell you that I preface that by saying dishonest. Okay, nothing wrong with selling used cars. Just tell the truth and don't treat mistreat people. And below all that were the bottom dwellers. They were the catfish <laughs> in the pond, and they were the preachers. How many of y'all remember that day? And and there was always so much pulling for money. And even now, you see some of them come on and they want you to send in, you know, so much money so they can buy a new jet. The jet they have is not exactly you know good enough at this point. And so I just I rejected all of that and I said God, I want you to just immerse me in the gospel and show me, Father, how to to be what you want a people in the 21st century to be. Let me prepare a people for that. Let me raise up a church that's hungry for your presence, that has that have generous hearts that look beyond the color of skin of the people that are standing or next to them or in the pew. Let us be a people in the South that welcomes folk that are on the margin, people that otherwise have been outcast, because that's what Jesus did. He he basically said, this thing is bigger than just the Jewish nation, but all the Gentiles, all the nations, all the ethnos are going to be invited into this thing. Come on, put your hands together and give him praise. I began traveling with an evangelist and you know, when you do that and you're part of the day-to-day things, it's, you have a, a, the ability to see kind of the soft underbelly, the, some of the negative things that happen in people's lives and maybe some things that other times people don't want to be known. And I got discouraged and I put my Bible on the shelf and I was angry at God because I idolized. It was my fault. I idolized the person that I was following and wanted to be like. And then when I found that he wasn't perfect, I was offended, and so I took a couple of years in my life and basically just tried to fell out of church, didn't pick up my Bible. I tried to just hang out with all the other guys at school. I tried to learn how to cuss. Now, you, you, can you imagine? Now, I'm just telling the truth. I don't want to offend anybody this morning, but I'm just telling you, I tried to smoke a cigarette, and they told it at school yesterday. You ought to have seen it. It was the most hilarious thing. Mike Smith tried to smoke a cigarette last night, and he was just hacking and coughing and just stupid. And I, I was just just, I was, I had rejected one group, and I was trying to find my place among another, and, you know, trying, drinking a little bit, and, um, you know, act, I mean, and pushing it too far, and getting drunk, and smoked a little bit of marijuana, and that didn't do anything for me, some of you have been here, so you know what I'm going to tell you, it's this, I, it didn't do anything for me, it just made me hungry, and I didn't need anything that's going to make me eat any more than I already ate, because I had a weight problem my whole life, and, and so I was getting ready for college. It was the senior year. We would graduated from West Memphis High School as an honor grad and spent the summer with my friends on Horseshoe Lake, I mean, skiing all over the place and would stick a little Miller Pony in my vest, you know, and we were doing that whole thing. And I got really under serious conviction by the Holy Spirit And I would lay in my bed every night and say, God, please don't forget me. Don't leave me. And I would cry. A tear would roll out of my cheek. And I would go, God, I I know that this is foolishness. I know that you're real, and I ask you to touch me. And I would cry out to the Lord. And finally, by the end of the summer, the conviction had grown so to a great point that I made a decision a week before I left to go to school at Arkansas State University And I was at a place of discouragement, and I was going, God, I I don't know what my relationship with you is like. I I knew that I was backslidden, and I I, I knelt at the corner of my bed at my mom and dad's house at 300 South Center in West Memphis, and I took the old Bible off my shelf, and I dusted it off, and I just held it up and did what I teach you not to do. I let my Bible fall open wherever it fell open, and it just went like that. And and first of all, don't do that, okay? Okay. But I just said, God, I don't think if you spoke out loud that I could even hear you. My spirit is so clogged with just junk and attitudes and and regret and grudges and anger and frustration and all of this stuff. And I just ask you to cleanse me. And I let the Bible fall open and I pointed. And I promise you whether you believe this or not, it fell open way over in the New Testament to the book of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. And this became my life verse. I'm going to quote it in King James first. It said, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath past tense, begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It enlarged on the Bible. The black letters on the white onion skin paper got bigger and I felt the Holy Ghost come into the room and I started to weep and I buried my face into that nasty 70's shag carpet in my bedroom and I said, God I know that you're real and show up and cleanse my heart and change me oh God, transform me. God, do something new and fresh in my life that I cannot deny, O God. The NLT says it this way, and I am certain, and that's what I needed. I needed confidence that God hadn't let me go. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I don't know who this is for. If there's somebody in the room this morning and you feel like you're away from God, let me tell you, you're as near to Him as you will just turn and take one step. You may think you're thousands of miles away, but when you take one step, God will make up the rest of the distance. It means just turning from what you've been doing, what you've been thinking, what you've been pursuing, and you begin to turn and say, God, I put my trust and my faith toward you. Come on, put your hands together. Philippians 1 6 changed my life it became my life verse being confident of this very thing that he who has past tense begun a good work in me will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ I'm thankful for that I grew up learning to hear the voice of the Lord I grew up and I knew that I never could walk away from that because once you come to Christ and what was dead comes alive and you begin to Let the Spirit of God speak to you, not audibly out here, but in the still, small voice of your spirit. Once you have been touched by that, your life is never the same. Everybody say, never the same. I have a story that no one else can tell, and the people in my life need to hear it. And when I do that, things change. Point number two this morning, God's Word in my family. God gave me an amazing woman, Dawn Etheridge. We became very, very close friends, and then romantically interested in college. And I went to North Carolina for School of Ministry to, to study, to be mentored under a phenomenal writer, written over 50 books, Dr. Kelly Varner. Was part of their ministry school, went through their whole program, They ended up teaching a couple of basic courses in it, just helping them out. And we heard the word of the Lord about coming And starting a local church. Before I get to that, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna rush ahead a little bit, kind of fast forward to actually having already been here. When we came, it was me and Dawn, and it was my almost one year old son, Drew, who is 34 now. And we came to start victory, and I'm gonna tell you that story in just a moment. But we went for seven years, and I don't wanna be crass, but I do wanna be plain. Don and I were not doing anything to prevent having another child, but yet nothing was happening. She, we wanted to have another baby, and we both desired a little girl. And a prophet of God, Stacey Wood, I don't care folks who tell you that it's, they're not for today, that that's I, I know better because I've seen real, true prophetic ministry take place where nobody knew anything about what a person was dealing with in the room, and the prophet of God would call them out and read their mail. I saw that growing up. And Stacy and his wife were visiting, and we walked them through the, the building down there at the mall. And they stood in the children's ministry. It was called Kingdom Kids at the time. And we joined hands and begin to pray, and Stacy prayed the particularly expected kinds of prayers that you would hear when a prophet of God is standing in, the, in a children's ministry and calling leaders, and God raised up the men and women for the kingdom of God, and, and it was good, and it was, it was prayer, but there was, there was a moment where it shifted, and Dawn had asked the Lord for a baby girl, and she'd already picked the name, and she'd picked the name Abigail Elizabeth. Abigail, when you look up the definition of Abigail, my Abby, When you look up Abigail, it literally says source of joy, the second definition, is my father's joy. Okay? And so we're standing there, and we're praying, and something shifted, and it's just me and Stacy Wood and his wife. Big, heavy-set guy. And we're holding hands, and all of a sudden everything just became electrified. I, I sensed it. It was like the God sat down in the room. Remember the song we sang this morning? There are miracles that take place when the Father shows up in the room. We don't need to be in a hurry when you start to taste something that you might never have tasted before. You want to relish it. And so I sensed it, and Stacy started to prophesy, and he said, Hmm, mm hmm. He said, I see something. He said, I see you bouncing. And he didn't know about our prayer. He didn't, nothing had ever been said about the name we'd chosen. He said, I just, and Now, remember what Abigail means. Everybody say, source of joy. And so we're standing there praying, and he said, I see you bouncing a baby girl on your knee. And he said, oh, I see, I see such a smile on your face. She's going to be a great source of joy in your life. How many of you know God knows the desires that are on your heart? Now, you know what? I can teach hearing the voice of the Lord, and you can argue theologically, but I'm telling you my testimony. You just have to sit there and hear it. I'm telling you, it happened in my life. And he said, he said, oh, I see something else. He said, she's going to be a great worshiper in the house of the Lord and a songwriter. He said, but beyond the church, her music is going to touch nations. Are you all hearing what I said? A- and she grew up and literally just from the cradle, she would coo. And, and I said, this is going to be a singer, Dawn. I'm telling you. This, this, this is, and I shouldn't tell this because it sounds pretentious, but I called her my little Whitney Houston when she was a little baby girl growing up. I said, this my little Whitney. That's the only artist that when they died I've ever cried. I loved Whitney. Whitney grew up in church, loved the Lord. And then when she got tied into the drugs and the stuff that took her down, it just broke my heart. What a gift. And so Abby started singing in church, by the time she was probably 11, 12, was singing with the praise team. By the time she was 14, it was evident that there was an anointing on her life to lead, to lead worship, and to bring in and usher in the presence of God and bring the people of God into a place uh, that others who sang didn't have that ability. There was something there special. It was a uniqueness. The Scripture says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20, it says believe the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm believe in his prophets and you will succeed King James says it this way believe his prophets and so shall you prosper We as preachers call that 2020 vision The prophet is a visionary and it's 2nd 2 Chronicles 2020 when you believe in the Lord when you put your faith and your trust in God and when you believe the word of the Lord for your life which comes from the written word and from the spoken word out of the mouth of a prophetic minister of God, then you are going to succeed, you're going to prosper if you will obey that word, if you will honor that word, if you will put that word first in your life, come on somebody, put your hands together. I have hundreds of stories that I could have tell, could tell, but this morning, but I wanted to give you this testimony how God gave me a life verse and turned me around and how God answered my wife's prayer and mine and a prophet of God spoke a word over her and she grew up knowing that and it's always affected her life. Two years after losing Dawn, Abby struggled so hard. She just walked through a period where she was just angry, so angry with God because she had fasted three days and marched around her apartment in Nashville confessing healing healing scriptures for her mama to get out of the mental illness that she was struggling with, and then her mama didn't get healed the way we'd all prayed. And I, I can't explain that. I've seen God answer prayers sometimes, and it blows my mind. And why, why, why he didn't answer that one, I don't know. And Abby asked me in a season when she was so hurt and so angry and just off of church and didn't want to come near it, just P.O.ed, and I don't mean praise offering. <laughs> and she said, Dad, I don't get this whole choose joy thing. Why, why, why are you not angry at God? And I said, honey, because I don't have anything else. It's all I've got. That's all I've got to be able to put my faith and my trust in. And if it had not been for the Lord by my side, where would I be? I might be dead myself, but I'm so thankful that He carried me and He brought me. I'm thankful that the test that I went through, he's made it into a testimony. And the mess that my life was in, so hurt and, yes, angry. And, you know, you Google when you're going through grief and it says there are like seven stages of it. And I would just laugh and I'm going, there are some days I felt it. I was in every one of those stages. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Just numb and angry and dejected and sad and grieving and all of those things. But I'm thankful for God who loved me and he didn't give up on me. He didn't quit. That's my testimony. I have a story that no one else can tell and the people in my life need to hear it. Third point, and I'm finished this morning. God's vision in Victory Church. I got a scripture when it came time to move. Sometimes God speaks to me and I hear a, Down in here. It's not an audible voice out here, but it's something down in my gut. And when I hear it, I know that I know that I know down in my knower. My knower knows that it knows that I heard. And the scripture says in 1 John that you have an unction of the Holy One and you know all things. Well, I don't know about you, but I just don't know yet that I know all things. But I've got the one on the inside me who knows all things. And if I'll shut up long enough and tap into and listen and be quiet, The scripture says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow not the voice of a stranger. And because you're his sheep, if you will learn to quiet yourself, he will teach you how to discern his voice. Come on, somebody. So the Lord gave me this verse. It says, I will guide you along the best pathway of your life and I will advise you and watch over you. And we started realizing that it was going to be time to step out into full-time ministry I had been there as a support person in music I was their treasurer I I did that all week long in terms of working in the facility and then managed the we had a 17-piece band we wrote parts out for horns saxophones trumpets a trombone Um, we had a couple of guitars we had a 60 voice choir and so I ran all that and plus began to develop a music program in the Christian school. The little p- kindergartners got recorders and we started to teach them how to read music. And that was something I did two days a week in the school. And God's favor was on it; was blessing it. But I started feeling a sense of drawing to something more, something different, something higher. And uh, Dawn and I put our house on the market in North Carolina. And it, we didn't list it with a real estate agent. It was just a very generic kind of for sale it didn't even have a phone number people had to come up to the door and knock on the house and ask for an appointment to see our house we knew that it was time and it was a it was a glutted market in real estate it was it's not like right now where you can name your list price and they'll write you a check for $25,000 above it all over the nation that's been happening but at this time we lived out there near the world's largest marine base, Camp Lejeune, Jacksonville, North Carolina, and the general basically said, all you guys have just really gotten comfortable and I'm going to ship your mm-hmm out of here and I want you to get your houses on the market. And there was a flood on the market at the time where we heard the word to move. Now, I just want to tell you where that word came from. Drew was two weeks old. He was born January 15th. 1988 and we got on the plane at the first part of February and we flew from Richlands, North Carolina, believe it or not, little bitty hole hamlet in a in, in hole in the road and they have an airport that flew jets in there, Piedmont Airlines and so we got on the plane, flew into Memphis, and it was some bad weather in February and they didn't actually taxi up to where the jet bridge comes out, but they put the, they rolled this big massive set of stairs up there and we actually had to walk down the stairs and walk on the tarmac. And so I've got the whole, all the baby paraphernalia, I'm telling you, you have a kid and you got so much stuff, where did, who needs all this? Well, you, you gotta have it because you got a baby. And so we've got the car, the car seat and everything and, and, and three or four bags and they're all full and we're just like knocking people over, you know, just basically trying to get through the, out of the plane. And we step off the plane and as soon as my feet touched that asphalt on that tarmac, I heard the voice of the Lord down in my gut say, you're going to build a work for me in this area. And that's Old Testament language for the, 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 the temple or the work of God, the church, okay? going to build a work. And I looked around because I heard it, and I knew that it was a moment that it was life-changing. We walked into the airport, and banners everywhere that year in 1988 were strung all over the the Memphis International Airport by Fred Smith and FedEx. And it says, start something new in the Memphis area. Now, I just heard a word in here, and then I just saw signs that were the the confirmation of what I just heard. You guys hear that? So I knew that I knew that I knew that God was talking to me. He said you're going to build a work, start something new in the Memphis area. We came in, everybody's excited to see my son Drew, Michael Andrew, had a wonderful time. I didn't tell Dawn on the trip till we got home. Till we got back to North Carolina where we had a nice little FHA 1000 square foot house, three bedrooms, a little one bath, and it was a little tiny home, but we loved it. We had redone it. We'd painted. We put in new carpet and new appliances, and we just we loved it. Drew had a, an amazing nursery, and so we put our house on the market because the Lord told us to do that. People started coming to see it, and they loved it because it had been we'd had a refresh. A couple basically signed a contract and said, and the, and they met our asking price. Nobody in the area was getting the money that they were asking for, and so. I had I'd asked Dawn, I said, Michael, are you sure about this? I said, Yes, honey, I, I know this is the will of the Lord. This is what we're supposed to do. And so we came home for a visit. And, and I, I just basically said, I, I, I don't think this is necessarily a good thing to do, but do you remember the judge, Gideon, who asked God to give him a sign? He fleeced the Lord. It was, put this fleece on the ground, if, if it's dry all the way around it, and the fleece is wet, then this is God, next morning, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And God did it twice to show Gideon. I said, I just want you to do that, and ask God for something to prove himself. And so, I didn't know what it was, and we got home, and as soon as we got home, she told me, she said, I want to make sure that if this is God, that we have a contract that is signed, and we've got earnest money in our hand, a check by september 30th i said okay well we'd not actually gotten the contract yet from the couple that was going to buy our house in september 27th they called and backed out are y'all hearing me and i'm just like my god don why did you do that? because <laughs> i knew i'd heard from the lord and he just said it's okay be at peace september the 30th they call back three days later and said we've changed our mind we want the house Here's the check for the earnest money. Here's here's our contract. We'll make our offer official. So Dawn's prayer got answered. What I had said was going to happen, happened. And I said, I promise you, I sense the Lord telling us we're going to move by Thanksgiving. That's when we're going to plan. And y'all, they went through this whole process, getting their loan and everything. This was the end of September. So all of October, part of November do you know I had to call First Citizens Bank in Richlands, North Carolina on Wednesday afternoon at 6 o'clock and have them hold the door because the next day was Thanksgiving to put my check in to deposit it because we were packing up that weekend and moving moving home to West Memphis because we were going to build a church. We were going to start Victory Fellowship. When we got here, my brother had been attending or going to, um, what was that thing they did in the 80s, aerobics. He was doing an aerobics class that was men and women, down on Broadway, a little place, and somebody there that went to school with me asked about what, what, what was Michael doing, and, and Dewey said, well, he's actually come back to town to start a church, and she said, what? He, she said, and he said, yes, they're gonna start a church, but they're here just wanting to rest through December and Christmas, and and she said, oh my gosh, we, we've got a home group, and we've been praying for two years to God, for God to send us a pastor, and, and she said, we've got to talk to Michael, and, and, and so she called, and I said, you know what? I'd love to meet with you guys, but we just got home. It's been an intense year. Let us have Christmas. Let's finish, and we'll meet after the first of the year. Okay, so a week later, she called back. She said, look, I, I know you're tired. I know you, you wanted some rest, but we've been praying for two years and asked God to send us a pastor, and we've got to know if you're the one. And so they came over Sunday afternoon and we spent the next five hours just talking and sharing and them asking questions and me sharing what was on my heart. And at the end of the evening, the guy who was kind of the leader of the group spoke up, and he said, I can't speak for anybody else, but I believe this is God's man and I'm going with him. The next Sunday, I met in that gymnastics place and preached the Bible on a folding chair to a a room with about 15 people in it. And so we started meeting the very first, that next Sunday. The Sunday was the first, January 1. So we waited till the 8th. Victory Church began January the 8th, 1989. That was our first Sunday. We met in the conference room of the Ramada Inn. Okay? And so we're down there and we're meeting and some of the folks that were part of that group that have been praying didn't come along because they didn't want a local church where they would be expected to jump in and serve. How many of you know if you want to grow a church that's going to be effective, you're going to have to be willing to, to ante up and give your time and your talent and your treasure. Too many folk like to come and go, well, they don't have this program around here. How many of you know if you've got a program you see that we need, maybe God's putting it on your heart to start it? it's amazing to me how folk rarely show up, and when they do, it's just to be critical, and they don't want to throw anything in the offering, and they complain about that. And then then they go one day, well, this church just isn't meeting my needs. Well, you ain't ever around here long enough to meet anybody. What are you talking about? Is this all right? I'm almost finished. Okay. And so we, we started meeting and literally ended up down in what we call the shoebox at 620 West Broadway. And the oldest, longest committed members that are in this room are sitting back in the back, back there. Everybody wave your hand. Jack and Tina Murphy, they've been with me 31 of 33 years. And we started preaching a vision of victorious Christian living and what it means to walk in victory and to trust God to transform the Delta. From the very beginning, we were preaching a gospel that was larger than a gospel for white people. And you have your church and we have ours. Dr. Martin Luther King said 11 a.m. is still the most segregated hour in America. And I was teaching them that, you know, when we get to heaven, the Church of Christ are not going to have their section and the Baptists their section and the Pentecostals, you know, having the run of the place. (laughs) Swinging from the chandeliers. Black folk are not going to be over there and white folk over there and Asians over there. And shh, don't tell that group because they think they're the only ones here. And I was just telling them, look, we've got to learn how. and We've got to come up with some solutions. We've got to be forward thinkers. We need to speak to the problems in the delta, apathy and ignorance and poverty and, and, and prejudice. Those are the four big evil spirits that influence the minds of the people over the delta. I'll give it to you one more time, apathy and ignorance and poverty and prejudice. And so everything that I had, I was putting and pressing toward that. We would drive into town, coming under the overpass, under the, as the, as the uh, I-40-55 has merged and they're going up over Missouri. Every time we would drive into town, Dawn would look at the mall and she would say, before we build a church, we're going to have church in that mall. And I would laugh and I'm going, yeah, right, like Sears is going to go out of business? This was the time I didn't hear, but she did. Our church started growing. We're down there which had one bay. We knocked a wall out, had two bays. We're renting the third bay on Sunday morning only to have our children's ministry in. And we've got probably close to 100 people down there. And I get a call from Guarantee Long. And they said, we heard your church is growing, and we have some space that we'd like to show you. And I said, where is it? He said, it's at the mall. And I, I dropped my jaw. And he said, it's, you know, Sears went out of business. It took my words out of my mouth. How many of you hear me? And so I went home and I had to say, hey, hey, sweetheart, we have an opportunity for a new location. She said, oh, yeah, really? Where is it? I said, well, the guy from Guarantee Loan called me and he has some space. She said, where is it? I said, well, you know, there's, there's some space opened up because something went out of business. She said, where is it? I said, well, it's at the mall. At the what? At the mall. I'm sorry, Michael. Did you say it was at the mall? <laughs> Haven't we driven in under that overpass for years and I've looked at you and told you we were going to have church in that mall before we built a building? I said, Yes, honey, you have, and you're so right. <laughs> she said, What went out of business? I said, Stairs. <laughs> she said, Mm hmm. Standing in the kitchen. She said, give me that pull pin. She pulled it like she was pulling it over to herself. She said, now I got something to say. (laughs) Oh, I just want to tell you, there's so many things that God, I remember the very first time when a lady met me in the parking lot and handed me a $50,000 check. She said, it's time for us to start our building program. I, I could tell you so many stories how God has just blown my mind and shown up in ways And I want to tell you that God wants to give you that same kind of testimony. But it's not my victory. It's not about you reiterating or parroting what God's done for me. But what is exciting is when you start saying, I prayed and God showed up and answered. It's when you start saying, listen, i got to tell you something. My family was jacked up in a mess, but God's turned it around, and I've got the best marriage I've ever had in my life. And my kids got baptized, and they're serving the Lord, and they're not on drugs anymore. Thank God our finances are straightened out because we learned how to give and how to trust God, and we started paying our bills. I want to tell you, God wants to do something in your life that will astound you, hallelujah. He spoke to the prophet before Samuel came along and he said, I'm about to do something new in Israel that the ears of those who hear it will tingle. I like to preach that. I like to go, tingle. <laughs> I, I, I'm just having a good time, okay? Let me just let me, let me say, the, say the amen. One more time. Say it with me. What's the one thing? I have a story. Say it. I have a story that no one else can tell. And what? And the people in my life need to hear it. We're going to have a wonderful time this month. Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Haley, we're going to share this series together and just go boom, 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 boom. And they've invited different ones that are going to come and give a testimony how God's answered. Summer is going to be faith building. Come on. Do you know, know, listen, the lake is wonderful, skiing is great, but don't you miss all this summer and then go, well, you know, I'm just kind of dry in my spirit. Yeah, but your swim trunks have been wet all year long. <laughs> now, y'all, come on and just still love me now. You, you have to. If you don't like that, you've got to forgive me. But listen, prioritize the house of the Lord. Go have your time. Take a vacation. I'm going to take my own and won't be here on a Sunday, okay? So go enjoy yourself and, 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 and bless the Lord, but when you come, come expecting because God's going to show up and he's going to teach you some amazing basics about what it means to release your faith in a good God who wants to show up and show out in your life. Stand to your feet and give him praise. Come on, come on this morning, give him praise. Hallelujah. When I think about the Lord and his goodness, as the lights go down and we bow our hearts before the Lord this morning, I want to call you to a place of commitment. Paul wrote and he said that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You have a story that nobody else can tell and the people in your life need to hear it. Well pastor, I really can't think of anything that God's done in my life. Well, guess what? You're in a place right now where he can start. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Father, we commit ourselves to you to seek your face, to learn how to hear your voice. Lord, to experience the the breathtaking excitement of releasing our faith and you answering our prayers. Sometimes not the way we ask, but it's always better than and bigger than. God, speak and lead and challenge and bless and prosper your people. Give us each stories, Lord, that we can tell that nobody else can. A song nobody else can sing. How you saved us and you changed us and you raised us up. Lord, as we stand before you today and count our blessings, the many things you've done for us, oh God, we give you praise in this place. Lord we ask you today if that's you make this your prayer right now. everybody say this Father thank you for this word I'm encouraged by this word I look to you with fresh faith lead me guide me speak to me challenge me change me I commit to seek your face show up in my life Lord show out in my life Lord Give me a story nobody else can tell and the people who need to hear it and I will speak it out Lord. I will tell others. In Jesus name I pray. When I think about the Lord. Yes. didn't give you an opportunity to make a turn there's some people in this room who have never crossed the line of faith god wants to give you a new start a fresh start in this moment right today your testimony starts the question was asked in psalm 107 has the lord redeemed you then speak out let me tell you the most important decisions you make in life are not signing your name on the line it's making a covenant with your mouth when you got married That agreement was put into the atmosphere by the words you spoke. I promise, forsaking all others. The most important decision you ever made is not signing a card or shaking a preacher's hand, but it's saying with your mouth, God, I believe you. I turn to you. Jesus, save me. I trust you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you this morning. You'd like me to pray for you right now. Slip up your hand. Anybody in the room? Come on. Yes. Thank you. I see that one. Anybody else? Yes, another two. Yes. All right. Let's pray together. Saints, everybody in the room. You know the Lord. That's fine. Pray it like you're meeting him the first time. Let's support these two who raised their hands. Right now, pray. Father, thank you for your word. Change my life. Make me new. I turn from my past. I turn to you in faith. Forgive my sins. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Speak to me. Teach me to hear your voice. Be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, put your hands together.